I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to the latest of our We the People Constitutional Podcasts. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And this week we're discussing one of the most interesting cases the Supreme Court will hear in the new term, uh, a case that could further define the limits of religious liberty. Uh, the case is called Holt and Hobbs. It was uh, accepted by the justices after Gregory Holt, who's an Arkansas prisoner serving a life sentence for burglary and domestic violence, submitted a 15-page handwritten petition to the court. He says his Muslim faith requires him to maintain a one-inch beard, but the Arkansas prison system requires all inmates to be clean-shaven. Uh, Mr. Holt says the policy violates the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, which is also known as RELUPA, and that requires prison officials to have compelling reasons for restricting religious practices. Uh, the court heard oral arguments on Tuesday, and uh, a decision uh, could come down as early as January. With us to discuss the case and how the justices might rule are two of the country's leading experts on religious liberty. Howard Friedman is the Distinguished University Professor of Law Emeritus at the University of Toledo College of Law. Uh, he has worked as an attorney for the SEC and taught law at Notre Dame, Case Western, and St. John Universities. He's the founder and author of Religion Clause, a leading blog on religious freedom. Marcy Hamilton holds the Paul R. Verkuhl Chair in Public Law at the Cardozo School of Law. Uh, she is actively litigating challenges to RELUPA and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. She's a former clerk to Justice Sandra Day O'Connor and co-founder and author of Hamilton and Griffin on Rights, a blog dedicated to issues of religious liberty, women's rights, and children's rights. All right, let's um, jump right into this fascinating question. Howard, tell us what RELUPA is why it matters in this case, and how this law interacts with the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. RELUPA is a statute Congress passed to give special protection to uh, prisoners' religious rights and also to rights of religious institutions when zoning issues uh, are at stake. Uh, those were two areas that Congress saw as being particularly susceptible to uh, governmental interference with religious freedom. Uh, it's important here because if only the free exercise clause of the First Amendment applied, uh, the way the court has interpreted that, this would be an easy case because the gov as long as it, it, the rule is a neutral rule of general applicability, the government doesn't need uh, very much justification at all to uh, to impose it. So it is only because of Verlupa that uh, uh, the inmate here really has a, a case. Uh, thanks for that introduction, Marcy. Do you disagree with Howard's analysis of the way Verlupa interacts with the First Amendment in this case? Uh, not at all. The First Amendment definitely has been satisfied. Uh, the uh, Normally in the past, the court has given deference to prisons, especially state prisons. Uh, on issues of security, and the issue in this case really is just whether or not Arkansas, the Arkansas prison system can assert security uh, or the federal courts are going to second-guess those decisions. Uh, so, Howard, the Arkansas had a tough time before the court by most accounts, and according to the transcript of the oral argument, which our listeners can find at uh, supremecourt.gov, uh, many of the justices seemed skeptical of the claims that Arkansas's beard 
rule, which is uh, unique, uh, 43 other correctional systems allow uh, beards of this kind. Uh, Arkansas claims that it's necessary for security because prisoners could hide weapons in their beards or to prevent mistaken identifications because they could apparently run into the field, shave their beards, switch IDs with a prisoner who looks like them, and then uh, escape detection. So um, tell us about your impressions of the oral argument and whether uh, you agree with the uh, general perception that the justices may may rule against Arkansas here? Uh, yes. Well, it, and the, the, the issue really that uh, Arkansas has a hard time on is not showing that security is a compelling governmental interest, but satisfying the, the second part of the test that RELUPA imposes, which is if they do have a compelling interest, they have to satisfy that interest in the least restrictive means uh, possible. And uh, the justices thought there were a lot of other means that might be used to uh, safeguard security uh, other than just uh, having a no-beard rule. Uh, the justices uh, were pretty skeptical of that. And, uh, you know, there's an old affer legal aphorism that hard cases make bad law. Uh, I think this might be an easy case that will make bad law because I think the this is a fairly straightforward uh, uh, case from the justices' point of view. Uh, the one odd thing is that the justices spent a lot of time uh, asking about, well, suppose the, the beard was three-quarters of an inch or an inch or two inches long, uh, when the court itself, when it granted review, said that the question was limited to whether uh, Arkansas could uh, uh, could limit, could prohibit a one-half-inch beard. So the justices began by telling counsel to argue one question and then began grilling them on a, on a different one. Uh, Marcy, your analysis of the oral argument uh, and also your thoughts on that harder question that the justices seemed to want the answer to, what if the beard had been longer? Right. I, I mean, I think that the, um, for me, I, I read the transcript as radically different than most of the reports. The first half of the argument was Justice Scalia suggesting even that the case should be denied as improvidently granted because what they were being asked to do was to tell a prison that they had to permit this prisoner to have a half-inch beard when the prison either said clean-shaven or, if there's a medical concern, quarter-inch, and it was really a matter of tiny inches. And from the conservative justice's perspective, what they're being asked to do is to micromanage the prisons across the states. And I think for them, that's a, that's a really bitter pill to swallow. And so the first half of the argument did not go well uh, for Professor Laycock. The second half of the argument didn't go that well for the state, in part because he wasn't clearly articulating what the problems are here. Uh, you know, Justice Alito was the most condescending, the most skeptical, saying, well, somebody going to, you know, hide a revolver in a beard. Well, of course not. The key question here is you have a violent jihadist who has threatened to kill prison authorities. He slit his ex-girlfriend's throat, stabbed her chest, told her that nobody else could have her if he couldn't, and threatened the lives of President Bush's daughters. We're dealing with violent criminals. What, how wily are violent criminals? Extremely. 
And I actually think the past standards when the court deferred to the prisons made a lot more sense. It was actually kind of funny to listen to the justices batting around, what are the least restrictive means? You could do this, you could do that. Uh, let's face it, none of them have been prison administrators. I don't think they have a clue, frankly, about how you keep security in a prison. And in the end, they've got a terrible choice. For is do they uh, do a case-by-case, prisoner-by-prisoner determination of the least restrictive means across the entire prison of the United States or not? Howard, what about Marcy's uh, notion that the conservative justices may be reluctant to micromanage the prison system? Chief Justice Roberts twice asked uh, Professor Laycock, what's the broader legal principle? We don't want a jurisprudence of of half-inch beards. So uh, is it possible that they might, in fact, uh, defer to to Arkansas? Well, I think the justices are uh, wary of micromanaging the prison system, as they well ought to be. I'm not even sure that's limited to the to the conservative justices. The problem is that Congress gave them an instruction that requires them to do something like that, because Congress said to them, uh, when a prisoner asserts a uh, religious freedom uh, claim, uh, you have to decide whether the institution is using the least restrictive means. Uh, letting the institution say we are with nothing more is probably not doing what Congress uh, instructed uh, the court to do. Um, Marcy, what happens in future cases? Give us a sense of the future of RELUPA. Um, What what, what happens when a longer beard comes along? And and more broadly, (laughs) is is there, in fact, a liberal and conservative uh, alliance in favor of creating religious exemptions under RELUPA, or as we saw in the in the Florence case involving uh, allowing strip search in prisons of uh, of people who'd been uh, arrested of low level offenses, you know, might we see a liberal and conservative split in these RELUPA questions? Well, the the whole the turning point of this case will be how seriously the court takes the legislative history and its own unanimous decision in Cutter v. Wilkinson. In both of those, there is an emphasis on the phrase, due deference to prison administrators on security and safety. And uh, it's in the legislative history, it's in, and then it's quoted liberally in the Cutter v. Wilkinson case, which is, as I say, Justice Ginsburg wrote for unanimous court. So how do you engage in due deference in a circumstance where you, the Congress has told you to apply the least restrictive means. I think it's tough, and I think that's why the court was struggling with both sides and frustrated with both sides. Uh, so until we see how they try to balance out due de- deference and, and uh, strict scrutiny in this case, we really won't know just how much latitude prisons will have in the future. Uh, but, you know, from where I'm sitting, I think that the biggest mistake that the states and Arkansas made in this case is that they did not raise federalism arguments to explain why due deference is required, why our LUPA must be interpreted when it applies to the states, which is just land use in prisons. 
in those circumstances, there has to be due deference because of Bernie v. Flores and the fact that, that RIFRA originally violated federalism. The failure to advert to federalism to provide an interpretive limit, I think, may well mean that the prisons are going to be subjected to uh, a least restrictive means requirement that's not as deferential as the court said in Cutter v. Wilkinson. Howard, if the case had been litigated as Marcy suggests and, and federalism had been stressed, uh, should the uh, justices have deferred to federalism concerns? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the problem is that you then have federal prisons that uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act would apply to, and so you'd have the same language in two statutes, perhaps meaning different things depending on federal prison versus state prison. I think there was another broader problem, and that was that counsel did not step back and give the court uh, the broad view of the various kinds of situations in which uh, RELUPA is asserted in, in prisons. And, and there are basically two of those. Some of them have to do with cases in which the state's interest is a budgetary one, uh, claims for uh, special dietary uh, accommodations. And there usually the, the compelling interest is, is budgetary, and there I think the courts can handle it uh, perhaps better than they can handle the security interests. Uh, when it comes to security, I think they perhaps should have given them some examples of things beyond just beards that are at issue. For example, uh, there are a lot of problems with, organ with groups claiming to be religious groups, but at least prison authorities say they're really racist gangs. And how much deference should the courts pay to prison officials who say this group, the, nation, the nations of gods and earths, is really a security threat organization, not a religion. Uh, they didn't really give the justices that, that full context. Um, Marcy, should we see this case as a sequel in any way to the Hobby Lobby case from last term? That turned largely on uh, the application of another federal law, which you, which you mentioned, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RIFRA. Uh, how are these two acts, RELUPA and RIFRA, related, and, and what a bearing might Hobby Lobby have on this case, if any? You know, that's a very good question. RIFRA was passed in 1993 uh, as a way of providing uh, extraordinary rights that had never been provided before. It was sold as a restoration, but if you look very carefully at the cases, it wasn't. It was a new standard imposed on all of the governments. It was held unconstitutional in Bernie across about four theories, but Congress then reenacted RIFRA as applied to federal law, and that's why it applies to the federal prisons. And then the lobbyists that had the most sway with the Republicans were James Dobson for the land use side and Chuck Colson for the prison side. So it's really a political reason why land use and prisons end up being applied to the states. And so our LUPA is a statute that is imposing this super strict scrutiny on the states. Uh, you know, right now we have a scenario where you have very similar language, least restrictive means, compelling interest, substantial burden as the trigger. Uh, but honestly, I do think that federalism concerns, whether expressed by the states or not, are going to drive at least the conservative justices to find some way to defer to the states in some way in the uh, land use and the prison context just because this is where their heart has been for so long. With respect to the federal government, I think the, the court's view, and I actually think sometimes it's rather funny, in the O'Central case, 
uh, Chief Justice Roberts basically said, look, federal government, you impose on yourself this extraordinary standard that we've never used before. You would have won if we'd had our standard, but you don't. You don't have the First Amendment standard. You have a strict, super strict scrutiny, so you lose. And I heard, if you listen very closely to this argument this time, you heard Justice Scalia say again, look, I wouldn't have passed our LUPA, but it's a statute that's out there, and so now we have to interpret it, which means it may well mean, and this was one of the questions at oral argument, a reversal of all previous prison-related claims, because in the past, the court did not apply a standard even remotely like our LUPA. Howard, if the court were to defer on federalism grounds to the state prisons, uh, would that be consistent with uh, Hobby Lobby? In other words, uh, some people will say, well, you're uh, refusing to recognize the religious liberty rights of prisoners, but you are recognizing the religious liberty rights of, of corporations. Would that be legally uh, plausible and uh, well, consistent? Well, there, 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 someone, I can't remember who, uh, had this famous quote said that the uh, one, one of the uh, worst uh, what things in interpreting law is to assume that the same words always have to mean the same thing when they're used <laughs> in different contexts. Uh, and and I, I think even though the statutes talk about strict scrutiny and, and least restrictive means, uh, you have to have some context, and they they won't mean the same thing um, in in all contexts. Uh, just as in uh, strict scrutiny in race cases. Uh, tends to be stricter than strict scrutiny in other kinds of cases. Um, judges, uh, judges will use their judgment. That's why they're judges. Uh, Marcy, give us a sense of what the big issues of religious exemptions are going to be moving forward. It sounds like this may not be a landmark case, but it signals a, an area of great, great interest. What are the what are the touch points going to be on religious? liberty uh, exemptions in the future? Well, the, at least in the prison context, I, I agree with Howard that the, the primary claims are both food and um, uh, hair or beard length. And so I think we'll just see those continue to play out. And I don't think we're going to see the court intervene again because I think they're so frustrated with the quarter inch versus a half an inch. Um, with respect to other types of exemptions, we are going to see uh, claims for exemption under Title VII, uh, where the question is going to be whether or not RIFRA modifies Title VII, and so uh, it permits all employers that have over 15 employees to be able to engage in discrimination on religious grounds if the employer's religious. We will see that. The other thing we're going to see, I actually have a cert petition pending uh, because uh, there are several states that use the First Amendment as a barrier to clergy sex abuse claims against institutions. So the First Amendment is still relevant in states where there's no state RIFRA, and so the First Amendment is the only standard, and that constitutes about 31 states. So the irony is the Supreme Court's First Amendment doctrine will now be worked out in 31 states, it will be Congress's rule that's going to be worked out in federal government and the 19 states that have adopted something similar to it. 
Interesting. Howard, do you expect uh, the Congressional and First Amendment rule to be different? And more broadly, what about Marcy's suggestion, which was also raised by the Hobby Lobby dissenters, that we're going to see lots of litigation uh, where religiously motivated individuals, as well as corporations, are claiming exemptions from anti-discrimination laws and other generally applicable laws? Well, I, I, I think we are. I mean, we're already beginning to see claims uh, of exemptions from anti-discrimination laws by businesses that don't want to serve same-sex couples, uh, don't want to furnish uh, wedding halls or wedding cakes or flowers or whatever. And so I think that I think that's going to be an area that will be ripe with uh, litigation. But I should say in the prison area, there <clears throat> there are a couple of other things uh, that I think future cases will bring. And that is, uh, I think Congress never thought about the, the vast variety of religions that uh, that that have asserted claims because if you follow the these prison cases and there are probably eight or ten a week that get decided by the courts in one way or another um, you're having Native American uh, religious uh, Native Americans who uh, want to use sweat lodges and have the prisons for any sweat lodges to them you have uh, various uh, a whole array of dietary restrictions uh, that different religions uh, are asserting, and they don't have to be sort of orthodox religions. An inmate can kind of make up his own religion, a piece of this and a piece of that, and as long as he's sincere in it, the um, case law says you have to accommodate that. So there's a lot. I, I agree the Supreme Court isn't going to take it up again, but there's going to be a lot for the lower courts to work out. Prisoners have a lot of time to litigate, and uh, they bring a lot of these religious claims. Great. Well, it's time for closing arguments. Uh, Marcy, let me ask you, how should the, cool, the court uh, rule in this case, and why should we care about it? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because as taxpayers, we pay for every additional burden that's on the prison system trying to control these violent prisoners. Uh, we don't want the federal government micromanaging every aspect of every state prison. Uh, the federal government doesn't have to pay. We do. Uh, but I think what we're going to see here is one of two options. Either they dig the case because it's just they can't figure out a principle uh, to be able to apply, or they say it's a matter of due deference. Arkansas did not do a great job of defending themselves. So maybe Arkansas loses here, but they will send a loud message in the future, still expect due deference, which will mean states don't know what to do. Howard, uh, last word to you. How should the court uh, rule in the whole case, and why does it matter? Uh, I think they should, should rule that Arkansas's uh, regulation violates RELUPA, but I think they should do it in a way that uh, still gives a good deal of deference to the states. I think it will be easy to say here Arkansas was so out of bounds uh, that even giving deference to uh, the decision makers, they, they, they still don't win. Howard Friedman, Marcy Hamilton, thank you for a stimulating discussion about an extremely interesting issue involving religious liberty. Uh, please join us for the next of our We the People constitutional podcasts. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.